story about this veteran captain, and he was kind of putting in a younger naval student kind of through the ringer. And so he was kind of asking him different questions and asked him, what would you do if this huge storm came up starboard? What would you do? He said, sir, I would throw an anchor overboard. And so the captain said, okay, well, what would you then do if another storm sprang out? And so the student said, well, I would throw another anchor, sir. And so then the captain's kind of starting to get frustrated. He said, okay, well, what if this third huge, massive storm just sprung up? You didn't know that it was coming at all, and it just like totally was hitting the ship. What would you do then? To which the student just said, sir, I would throw another anchor overboard. To which the captain just says, okay, you need to stop. He said, where are you getting all of these anchors from? And the student looked at him and said, from the same place you're getting all the storms, sir. (laughs) I think about this idea of anchors. You know, we use these anchors, there's these, these devices that are intended to keep a vessel in a particular spot, which can be extremely helpful when there's some sort of storm. It can be the difference between life and death. Sometimes it's just convenient to have because you're wanting to temporarily leave your vessel and you want to go on shore, or maybe you just want to stay in a certain area. Or sometimes we even talk about vessels with the idea of rock climbing and how important it is that you are anchored into the side of that cliff. And so these anchors are things that are important. And starting next week, we're looking four different weeks worth at this idea of things that the early Christians, the early church said, this is something that is important that we anchor ourselves to, that we think this is what we need to be doing. And in fact, in Acts chapter 242, it tells us those things. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Like right off the bat, they're like, these are the things that are important for us to be doing. But before we look at those four things in depth, I kind of want to give you just a background, setting the stage to understand what is going on as we lead up to that point. And so I want you to imagine these disciples. Yes, there's 12 of them. There's also others that have been following Jesus, but they have been following him for three years, and they have been seeing all the behind the scenes type of things. They listen to his teachings. They've seen his healings and the discussions that are even meant directly for them. Like they have been involved in all of these things. And then three years comes and this event happens that they weren't ready for. Even though Jesus has told them this is coming, they just weren't ready for it. And Jesus is crucified. And so this roller coaster of emotions, I mean, the things that they'd been expecting and, hey, we're going to get to be parts of the rulers of Israel and all this kind of stuff. And now, like, they see the one that they've been following dead. And yet three days later, he rises from the dead and he makes his appearances. And so they get to see him with their own eyes. And eventually, you know, a few days later, Jesus goes back up into heaven. He's standing right there in front of him and goes back into heaven. And these angels say he's coming back just the way that he has left here. And they go back rejoicing. They choose another apostle named Matthias to come take Judas Iscariot's spot who has killed himself because of the grief that he was feeling. And so here are these apostles. And we continue to read in the book of Acts chapter chapter two, and it's now the day of Pentecost. Okay. So that means it's 50 days from the day that Jesus has died. All right. So that's kind of our time frame, 50 days. And on this day, these apostles were all together in one place and they hear a sound 
Like it's described as the sound of a wind coming. And all of a sudden, they notice these things that they just describe as tongues of fire that come and place themselves over the heads of each of the apostles. And then the Holy Spirit enters into each one of them and they begin to speak in tongues. They begin to speak in different languages. Well, because it's Pentecost, there is a large crowd of people from many different areas who are speaking different languages. And as they're there, they're hearing this. And so some people begin to wonder what's going on. Like, I hear this guy over there speaking my language, but he's never, isn't he a Galilean? How is he able to speak my language? And so some people are wondering what is going on. And other people kind of just look over and start making fun of him going, yeah, they're just drunk. That's what's going on. And so then in Acts chapter two, we see Peter get up. And Peter begins to speak this sermon to which then all these other guys through their language that God is speaking through them speaks the exact same sermon so everyone can hear. And in this sermon, Peter says, we're not drunk. What you see happening right now was actually foretold way back by the prophet Joel. And he speaks about it, about how God's spirit would pour out upon his people. And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord would be able to be saved. And he talks about how God sent Jesus, but people killed him, all right? People killed him, but God didn't stop there. He then raised Jesus from the dead. And then again, Peter goes back and says, look at David. You all know David, our ancestor, this great king that we had. He spoke of the promise that God would be doing here. And we are, we are witnesses. We have gotten to see all of this take place. And then Peter says, God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And it says that their response was that they were cut to the heart. They were convicted, like, man, we have messed up. And they ask, what is it that we should do? And so Peter replies this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38. It says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so after this happens, 3,000 people are added to the church that day. This is the birthday of the church, the beginning of the church, and it is about ready just to set fire. And so the main point of this sermon that Peter was speaking, that then all the other men were speaking to, there's all this stuff leading up to it, but the main point is all about Jesus, that he is Lord and Christ. And even in their response, what do we do? He said, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus, like he is the main thing here. And it got me to wondering, as I just thought about that, there were a couple other scriptures that popped into mind from the book of Acts that point to Jesus. And so that actually sent me on a journey this week as I just skimmed through the entire book going, what messages are told? Like when, when, the, when Peter or when John or when Paul, when they're going and speaking, when they're establishing these new churches, what do they see as important to tell people as far as this is what we need to know, or this is who we need to know? And so let me just walk you through some of these. And so again, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts. I'll tell you where we're going to be each single time. But we're starting out here in verse 3, or in chapter 3, not verse 3. Chapter 3, and we see this man who has been lame, and he is outside of the temple. He cannot walk, and so he's there begging. This is his source of being able to take care of himself. And so he's asking anyone who will go by, would you consider giving me money, please? And so Peter and John are walking by, and this is what Peter says in Acts chapter 3, verse 6. 
It says, then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Okay, so there's not a big sermon there whatsoever, but what we read is that Peter, right from the beginning, he's saying, hey, here's the healing, but you need to know it's not me. It's not John. We are not the source of your healing. The source of what is happening today is Jesus. That's where the power is coming from. And now, if you're to continue reading in this section, there's a crowd, obviously, seeing what's going on, and they're amazed, and Peter's asking, why are you guys amazed? And so he takes this opportunity to preach the gospel. So he talks about how God sent Jesus, but he was killed, and yet Jesus, or God then raised him from the dead. And so then in verse 16 of chapter 3, this is what we see Peter say. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and you know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you all can see. And so again, he's saying this is the source of Jesus. The reason this miracle was even able to happen was because of Jesus and faith in him. Now, could he be talking about the man's faith? Maybe, but all he did was step up and walk. But there is some faith to that. Could it be Peter's faith? Absolutely. It takes some faith to say, hey, Jesus is going to do this. But in any source, we have the idea that power comes through this idea of faith in Jesus. Now, you might think, okay, that's the end of this story, except we even get to chapter four and the Sanhedrin, that's a whole bunch of people who are like the Jewish religious leaders. They're starting to ask lots of questions. Again, they still don't like all this talk about Jesus and Peter and John are before them because of this healing. And they ask this question, this teaching that you're doing, this miracle that you did, how are you doing this? Like by what power, by what name are you able to do this amazing thing? And so in chapter four, starting in verse nine, here's what Peter says. If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. And salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. And so as they're speaking, again, they're talking about the power comes from Jesus. God raised him from the dead. He has become our cornerstone of our faith. And then he says the only way to be saved is through Jesus. The only way to be saved is through Jesus. Well, then if you turn over to Acts chapter 5, we see that these group of religious leaders called the Sadducees, they have the apostles arrested because of what they're teaching about Jesus. Well, God kind of has fun with that and allows the apostles to be freed in the middle of the night and says, hey, I want you to go out and speak again tomorrow. So when the guards are told to go and bring the apostles before the Sanhedrin, they go and the, uh, you know, the, the prison cells are empty. And so they go out and they're told that, hey, they're out in, in, the, in, the, in the streets preaching. And so they kindly ask them, hey, would you come with us? Because they didn't want to create any kind of uproar. So the apostles do. They go with them and stand before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin says, we told you to stop teaching about Jesus. Why are you doing this? And so in Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 29, here's what it says. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and he might forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, 
whom God has given to those who obey. So again, Paul or Peter here, he's saying, you know what? You guys killed Jesus, but God raised him from the dead. He exalted him. And it's through Jesus that we can have repentance. It's through Jesus that we can have forgiveness. See a theme kind of coming here. Well, then in chapter seven, we meet a guy. Well, actually we meet him in six, but chapter seven is where we get to read about Stephen, a man named Stephen, who is out there telling all about Jesus. He's been selected for a certain role. God has given him extra wisdom. And so these guys cannot like debate against him. They, they can't win. And so they come up with these false charges and they bring him before the Sanhedrin saying that he's done these things that are not right. And so when given the opportunity to speak, Stephen begins. And for 50 verses in chapter 7, we see Stephen saying, hey, you guys know the Old Testament. And he begins to tell all about the Old Testament, and he points it all the way to Jesus, saying all of this was showing that he was to come. And so he's gotten to the point of Jesus, and then we get to verse 51 in chapter 7. And he says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who had received the law that was given through angels, but you have not obeyed it. Akira is saying, you killed Jesus who was the Messiah, the promised one, the one the Old Testament has led up to this entire time. We're not done with Jesus. If we go to chapter 8, we again see Philip, who is one of the followers of Jesus, and he is led by the Holy Spirit out to this area where this man from Ethiopia and this treasure is in a chariot riding along, and God says, go up to him. And he hears him reading from Isaiah. And so Philip simply says, do you know what you're reading? And he says, no, how can I? Will you explain it to me? And so Philip gets into the chariot and begins with that exact passage. And in fact, in chapter 8, verse 35, this is what it says. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture, and he told him the good news about Jesus. Like, hey, let me use this, what you're saying, and let me just tell you the main point of what you are reading is all about Jesus. And we see that when he gets done telling him about Jesus, they're traveling along, and this man's like, look, there's water. Why can't I be baptized right now? And he's baptized at that exact moment, all because they're talking about Jesus. In chapter 9, we read about Peter, and he's going to these Christians in this place called Lydia. And while he's there, he comes across a paralytic who has been paralyzed for eight years. And so in verse 34, here's what Peter says. He says, Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up. So again, no big message, but at this point, he's still giving power. He's still giving like reference. This is Jesus who is the one who is able to do all of this. In chapter 10, we meet a man named Cornelius. Okay, he's a Roman centurion. He is not a Jew, but he is a God-fearing man. He believes in God, is trying to do the things that God wants him to do. And he kind of is, is given nudges by God to go get Peter, all right? And Peter's been somewhere else. He's been seeing these dreams that God's trying to get a hold of him. He's trying to figure it all out. And so he comes to Cornelius's house and the light bulb comes on of what God has been trying to teach him. And so Peter is then standing before Cornelius. And in chapter 10, starting in verse 34, this is what we read. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, 
But he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message that God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem, and they killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And so he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And again, as Peter's speaking here, he says, you want to know where peace comes from? It comes from Jesus. He says, hey, you want to see who Jesus came for? He came for everyone. Like, I now realize that. It's not just the Jewish people. It is for all. Whoever will choose to believe in him is who Jesus came for. And so forgiveness is through his name. It's through the name of Jesus. Well, then you can turn over to Acts chapter 13. All right, we again, this time we see Paul and he's in this place called Antioch and he's using the Old Testament. He talks about David, then it points up to John the Baptist and then he talks about Jesus being raised from the dead. And in verse 38 of chapter 13, this is what he says. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. And so here he says, because of Jesus, we're even able to preach this message to you. But because of Jesus, anyone who believes will be set free and not just partially set free, but you can be set free from every single sin. Anything that has got a hold of you, Jesus gives you freedom from that. If you go a couple chapters later to Acts chapter 15, we have this council in Jerusalem and they're trying to figure some things out. Again, this is kind of the beginning of the church. And so back in the Old Testament, following God, the Jewish people were supposed to be circumcised. It was this sign that they were following after God. And so they're trying to figure out, do new believers, people who aren't Jewish people, do they need to be circumcised to be able to show that they are a follower of God? Is that necessary? And so they're meeting again to have this discussion. Does this need to happen? And so Peter speaks up in verse 11 of chapter 15, and he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved, just as they are. You see, Peter says, it's not by works. You and I, we are not saved by all the good things we do, that we're a good person. It is by the grace of Jesus. It is by the gift that Jesus offers to us. In chapter 16, we read about this guy, Paul, and his uh, buddy named Silas, and they're in this place called Philippi. And there's this girl who has this demon or this spirit that tells the future, and they're following after uh, Paul and Silas, and they're saying, hey, you guys need to listen to these guys because they're going to tell you what you need to do to be saved. All right? So this girl is continually doing that. And so in verse 18 of chapter 16, here's what we read. It says, she kept this up for many days. And finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, 
the Spirit left her. So again, we see, not by my own power, but through the power of Jesus, he has power over the Spirit, and it's gone. Well, that didn't make uh, the girl's family very happy, and you can continue reading. Paul and Silas, they're thrown in jail, they're beaten, and this big earthquake happens, even while they're singing praise to God in the middle of the night. But the jailer is terrified because the doors swing open, and he feels like the prisoners have probably left, and he knows if any of them escaped, that means his life is going to be taken. So he is ready to kill himself when he hears Peter say, Say we're all st- or Paul. They say we're all still here, and so then he runs in to the cell where Paul is, and he asks, "What must I do to be saved?" And so in Acts chapter sixteen, verse thirty-one, it says they replied, "Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household." Like again, what do I need to do? You have to believe in Jesus, not just whatever. You need to believe in Him. Well, after they leave Philippi, they go to a place called Thessalonica. And so in the very next chapter, chapter 17, verses 2 and 3, this is what we see. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and he had to rise from the dead. And this is Jesus I am proclaiming to you. He is the Messiah. And so again, taking the opportunity, let me tell you what's important, what the foundation is. It's that Jesus had to suffer, die, but then rise again. And he is the promised Messiah. This is what you need to know. In fact, if you go to Acts chapter 18, now we're in Corinth. And again, Paul is speaking on each Sabbath day in the synagogue. And verse five says this, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching to testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. Again, this opportunity to teach from the word of God, you need to know who Jesus is. That's what he's doing and that he is the promised Messiah. In chapter 18, we, re- we meet this couple named Priscilla and Aquila. And as they're traveling, they come across a guy named Apollos. And Apollos is a very learned man. He's smart. He's teaching all about the ways of God. But he had only known up through John the Baptist. He didn't know much about Jesus yet. And so Priscilla and Aquila, they take him under their wing and they teach him so that that way he can know all about Jesus. And so then Apollos goes to this place called Achaia. In in chapter 18, verse 28, here's what it says about Apollos. It says, For he vigorously refuted the Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And so now he takes all his new information, what he'd learned before, but now how Jesus fits the bill, and he's showing that Jesus is the promised Savior. If you go to Acts chapter 20, we see this letter that Paul is writing to the Ephesian elders saying, hey, I'm going back to Jerusalem. I get that that means I might be captured. My life might be almost over. But he's telling this letter to the Ephesian elders. And in chapter 20, verse 21, it says this. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Like what's most important, I have been telling people that they need to have faith in Jesus. And as they do that, that's when repentance happens. That's when real change happens. Not just the self-help, hey, I'm going to do better. It's because of Jesus that that's when repentance happens. Then if you jump to Acts chapter 26, like by this time, Paul has been in front of many trials, in front of different people who are trying to listen to him, and no one's finding him guilty, but no one's just letting him go free. And so he's before this king named Agrippa. And he's telling his story. He says, there was a time that I did not believe that Jesus was sent by God. And he says, but then 
God got a hold of me. And he tells his story about the road on, on the road of Damascus. And then he says, so since then, I have been preaching to people that they need to repent. And in Acts chapter 26, starting in verse 22, it says this, but God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and I testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses would, would say happened, that the Messiah would suffer. And as the first arise from the dead, he would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. And so again, even here before this Gentile king, what's happening is Paul is saying that this message is for everyone, that Jesus is for everyone. And then we get to the last chapter of Acts. And somebody's like, whew, last chapter of Acts in chapter 28. And Paul is under Roman guard. And there are these Jewish people coming up to listen to him because they want to know what's going on. And in chapter 28, verse 23, it says this. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day. And they came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning until evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And so even while Paul is in this house prison, he is trying to tell everyone, make the most of the opportunity. Let me tell you about the kingdom of God, and it is all about Jesus. In fact, he's kept there for two years, and he continues to teach people all about Jesus. And so the very last verse in the book of Acts, verse 31, says this. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Like, what am I doing with my time? I'm telling about Jesus. I'm telling about his work. I'm telling what it means to be part of the kingdom because that's what's important. And so even as we look at this idea of the church starting out and they're going around telling people who knew the Old Testament, what they're saying is this message is all about Jesus, that you need to anchor your life to him. The message that he is the one who is the Messiah, that he died and rose again, that he is the power behind every single one of the healings, that he is the cornerstone of our faith, that he is the reason that we choose to repent, that we get forgiveness, we get salvation only through him, nowhere else we get it through him, that he is is the one that offers saving that is available to everyone. And through him, we can be set free. That is the message of Jesus that is said over and over and over again. And that message is still one that we need to hear today, that it's all about Jesus. And sometimes when I was in youth ministry, or even more, sometimes when I was in children's ministry at my last church, we would talk with someone who was wanting to maybe know more about Jesus or accepting him. What does that look like? And so we would talk through something called the bridge illustration. I don't know if you've ever heard of this whatsoever, but what I would do is I would talk about this kind of cliff. And so I would draw it over here and I'd put a little person on top of it and I'd say, this is us. You see in this cliff that we're standing on, it represents death. Because scripture tells us that once we sin, once we do anything rebellious towards God, whether we think it's small, whether we think it's large, we are separated from God who is perfect. And that is us standing here in this area of death and judgment, which leads only to hell. This place that will be eternally separated from God. That's where we are. 
But then over here, I draw another cliff, and I talk about this is where God is. This is eternity. This is perfection. And we can maybe look and go, man, I've learned about this. I want to be here. But then I say, I don't care how good of an athlete you are. You can't run and jump to the other side. I don't care if you get like a motorcycle and you try to make that jump. You can't make that jump. I don't care if you try to get smart and get an airplane and you're going to try to get across. You're going to run out of fuel before you get there because there is no way that by yourself you can make it from one side to the other. But a way has been made. And it's all because of Jesus. And you can draw a line that connects the two and you put one vertical as well to show the cross. That it is because of Jesus that anyone who believes can have that forgiveness of sins that we read about that can be saved and you can then have eternal life. That in and itself is the gospel message of what we all need. And I tell you that because even just telling you all those things and listening to the verses, like maybe you're like, okay, this is kind of repetitive this morning. (laughs) Like I keep hearing Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Like I know all this. Well, let me tell you a couple things. First of all, there may be someone listening that doesn't know this. And so we need to start with this message that really is life-giving. Secondly, some of you may not be able to explain it to somebody else. And so even listening to something like this is super helpful. Man, let me be able to tell people just the good news of Jesus. But even if you can explain it, and even if you know this, man, it is so important to remember the main thing. There's so many times that we even preach on really good things. What do I do to find Jesus, to follow Jesus, like in my own life? But we need to be reminded of the main thing, that we always stay upon him because he was the main thing then, and he continues to be the main thing today. It all comes back to Jesus, which even reminds me of what he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, where he says that I am the way, that I'm the truth, that I'm the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Like We cannot save ourselves. We cannot be saved without him. You and I, we need Jesus, and we need to be thankful for Jesus because he alone allows us the forgiveness not to just stay over here for all of eternity. You know what? There was a story again that I was looking at this week, and it was about an English captain of a ship And they were close to Turkey, but this storm came up, but they were not close to any kind of harbors. And so what they did was he dropped an anchor, you know, because he didn't want to smash into the the side and like cause lots of problems. So he dropped the anchor, but it didn't catch. Like it was just in the sandy and the wind continued to blow the ship. And so a little bit scared, he did drop a second anchor, hoping that maybe it will catch something. And so he dropped it. And yet again, nothing was happening. They had one more anchor, but this one was really small compared to the other two. He's like, I I don't know if this is going to do anything, but again, I don't have a a lot of hope in anything else, and so let's give it a try. And so they threw off the third anchor, and then all of a sudden they felt it catch. And so that little anchor with the chain tight held that boat from crashing in to the shore. And so then when the storm passed the next day, they pulled up the anchors and the two big ones came up real easily, but the small one, man, they had to work really hard for to try to get it to come up. They were trying to figure out why. Well, when it got to the surface, they realized why. Because attached to that small anchor was a large anchor. They found out that there had been a battleship that had sunk there many years before, and that small anchor was able to connect to that large one and that kept them safe. And I don't know what you feel like with your life and maybe your even little anchor that you hold and you're like, I don't feel like it's worth much. But if you throw it out and you connect to Jesus, 
He is that firm foundation that we sing about. He is the one that will keep you through any kind of storms. And so the question with all that is, have you given your life to him? If you haven't, will you? Will you trust him with everything? Will you trust him with your life? Because the gift that he offers is amazing. He gave his life so that we don't have to stay over here. We can be with him for eternity. It's that simple. To whoever believes you're given this forgiveness of sins and eternal life. If you want to have a discussion about that, or you feel the Spirit working on your heart, and you're like, I want Him. Like, today is the day that I want Him, that I would encourage you while we're singing to make your way to one of these decision points. And maybe there are things going on that you just need some prayer. As the church, we're going to pray alongside of you. But let us, before we anchor to anything else, let us make sure that we anchor ourselves to Jesus, because He is the one who is worth it. Let's stand and sing to Him.